All right. You can just open up your Bible to Numbers chapter 22. We'll get there eventually. That's where the bulk of it is. But the message is the prophet Balaam. Now, Balaam is one of the most uh, interesting characters in the scriptures as well as one of the most confusing. He is one who God clearly spoke through, and yet he is said to be uh, one of divination. Um, he knew that he could not alter anything God had purposed, yet knowing his ability could bring him great wealth, um, he gave evil counsel against Israel which became his downfall. I would challenge you to examine every nation who has done Israel wrong and see what has happened to those nations. You might start with England before the British mandate came to a close of 1948 and move backwards. England used to say that the sun never sat on her empire. Now she's a little island surrounded by Muslims. Okay? Just an example. Our day is no different. As we see the acceptance of the occult practices in the paranormal by some of the most respected agencies of our nation, seemingly wise people, even now in the emergent church movement, bringing it within the church, many ex-presidents, some have consulted mediums. There are people who are in politics, key people. And so this is nothing new. Um, our day is no different as we um, have accepted all of this. As you look to the movies, you look at the programs that are on TV, you see the uh, obsessiveness with vampires, demons. Um, and I understand there's entertainment, but there's, it's more than that today. Uh, once you get rid of God, then you have no fear of anything. You think you have control of it for yourself, that it's a power you can manipulate and enhance your life with, which is the deception. Um, so... This is nothing new, and this is the long line of the descendants of Balaam, as we'll see. Let me um, break up Balaam, uh, so we look at him at a threefold lens. We want to look at Balaam, um, the man Balaam, first of all. Secondly, we'll look at the message of Balaam. And thirdly, we'll finish off with the mistake of Balaam. The man Balaam, interesting individual, his name Balaam means uh, devourer of the people. Some have translated not of the people. Um, his uh, father was Beor, and we know nothing about him. And again, you find this in Numbers 22, verse 5, uh, his descendancy. And we'll get the bulk of it there, chapter 22, 23, 24, 25. Uh, we'll get to it in the message. His name uh, appears a total of 59 times in the Old and the New Testament, 49 times between Numbers uh, 21 to 31, the bulk of it in 21 through 24. Two times in Deuteronomy 23, 4 and 5. Three times in Joshua 13, 22, 24, 9 and 10. And one time in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 2. And one time in Micah 6, 5. The others are in the New Testament and there are three. Second Peter 2, 5. Jude Verse 11, there's only one chapter there. And then Revelation 2.14. All of them are strict warnings against his evil and messing with familiar spirits and divination. Very, very clear. Now, the man Balaam was a spokesman by spirits. There are many spirits that have gone into the world were to test the spirits. 
Everyone assumes that Jesus did not come in the flesh is not of God. And there are many people who believe, they say, I believe in God and I believe God is love. And they have all this philosophical mumbo jumbo stuff, but it's totally off the wall from the word of God. You must drop the plumb line. You must drop the word of God and examine everybody's words by the word of God. You're not judging the person. The person may be the greatest person in the world. They may be just a blast, but they're unbiblical. You have to judge it. Listen, when you get out of here, you're going to judge between a green light and a red light. If you don't make the right judgment, you might not get home. You're going to have to balance your checkbook. It's not relative. Today, a one is not a ten for you. And a ten is a one for the bank. Okay? One's always a one. Ten's always a ten. All right? And there's plus and minuses. Why would we judge our society by not objective truth then? Why have we moved into relativism? Because it's very convenient for our corruption, our decay. You lower the bar. You decriminalize the law. You... Lower the bar of conscience, and you have an implosion of society. It's simple. Now, the man Balaam, as he speaks through the spirits, he had a, a notable reputation according to the people of the land. Uh, here in Numbers chapter 22, verse 6, he was known to be able to bless and to curse uh, people. So Balaam, the king of Moab, uh, calls upon him because Israel's coming through the land, um, and, he's, and Israel is conquering everybody. He is called a soothsayer, a diviner, in Numbers 22, verse 7, and Joshua 13, 22. These individuals, uh, diviners and soothsayers, were of great credit and esteem among the heathens. They were almost revered, and they still are in many societies. The witch doctor and the Amazon, stuff like that. Uh, they're the shaman. Uh, they're the ones who run everything. They have the power. Um, uh, and for this pretentious foretelling that they can tell the, uh, the future or discover lost things uh, or the like by their enchantments and drive away evil spirits and bring a curse and blessing to others. And there's a lot of that type of superstition that still goes on today. You know, the horseshoe, the crossing of the finger and all kinds of stuff, you know, all this kind of stuff, you know what I mean? The rabbit's foot and all this, all this stuff. It may be silly to an extent, but it, it has a, a root base in all of this. Nebuchadnezzar depended on greatly upon the soothsaying and divination in Ezekiel 21, 21. It speaks about he comes to a fork of the road where he's going to conquer. And there's a dividing of the liver where you cut open an animal. You look upon the liver and it tells you which way to go. That's all part of divination. It's just one of the many aspects of divination, not the only one. Now, soothsayers, diviners, and necromancers, the seeking of the dead, we're all abhorred by God. You need to understand as a Christian. Now, we've got a lot of palm readers down the street here. They've been here as long as we have. And I'm sure they're, they're financially more ahead than we are. Um, and people just um, they, they help them laugh all the way to the bank. Now, there's some that are real charlatans and they're a bunch of phonies. And there's others that do have uh, the ability to tap into demons. And they're very, very dangerous. Uh, listen to Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 14. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or sorcerer, or one who conjures spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls upon the dead, that's necromancy, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out of before you, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations, which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. 
Now, maybe before you came to Christ, you had your horoscope, you had all this kind of different stuff. That's all demonic. Whether you knew it or not doesn't make any difference. We are not to go there as people of God. Um, Balaam uh, was sought out by the elders of Moab in Numbers 22 here, verse 3 through 4 and 7. Um, and the Midianites there, they requested um, that uh, Balaam come and curse Israel because they were devouring the land, lipping it up like an ox, it says. God was bringing them out of Exodus and going to deliver the land to them because the land now spewed all these people because of all these practices. Now stop and think about when we're talking about this, of all the accepted practices like that that are today accepted as good, but they're evil. One of the greatest promoters of the occult and spiritism and demons is Oprah Winfrey. She's the greatest promoter. God help her. She has openly said publicly on her television program, Jesus is not the only way. And she Now, right now, the shack. How many of you get a shack? How many of you think the shack's great? It's off the wall. And you're off the wall if you believe it's wall. It is contrary to the word of God. But the emergent church is pumping it and it just accepts everything, right? Wow. The Jews sometimes make him to be a magician of Pharaoh's court. At the time when Moses was born, which is not probable. And it's still more improbable that he should be Laban the Syrian. As the Targum of Jonathan says in the Targum of 1 Chronicles 1.14 nor the grandson of Laban, who is identified with Eliu, that answered Job according to the traditions of the Jews mentioned by Jerome. So you've got all kinds of speculations that people teach and, and propagate. And when you do your study, and if you go to them and hold them as an authority rather than the word of God, then you will be propagating all that lies and all those opinions. You're to take men's opinions and what they say and run it by the scripture. And if it lines up with the scripture, eat it. If not, spit it out. It's poison. You say, well, you know, there's just, you know, there's a lot of nice people. And they know there is some truth. Listen, listen, listen. I'm going to give you a 12 ounce glass of water. It's a hot day. Man, it, you are thirsty. And I put a little drop of something. You say, what was that? I'll go, don't worry about it. Look at all the water that was in there. Drop, one drop of cyanide. Why do you object to that if you don't object to the poison of the word of God? We're fickle. We're foolish. The man Balaam was from Pethorn, Numbers 22.5, near the river of the land. Of the sons of his people. Pethor was said to be the place of his birth. And the place of his inhabitation. By the Euphrates River. There in Deuteronomy 23.4. Pethor was the area of Aram. From the mountains of the east. Or Syria. Northward. That is from Mesopotamia or Chaldea. The place where Abraham came from. As the Septuagint translates it. In the Targum of Jonathan. From Aram or Syria. Which is by the Euphrates. And you can get this in Numbers 23 verse 7 also. Aram, Natharian, was said to lay between two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. Now, we're familiar with these because we studied the major prophets. We're in the minor prophets. Um, we, we, we've studied much about Israel, the Babylonian captivity, 
those areas, and we know also because of the current wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, we're very familiar with that uh, area uh, of the world. Now, the man Balaam was um, a spokesman um, to God and by God, as we're going to see. He told the elders of Moab that he would bring back the word of the Lord in chapter 22, verse 8. God came to Balaam and asked him who these men were that came to him in 22.9. Now, it doesn't mean that God didn't know and he's asking Balaam to tell him. We know that God knows everything. So non-believers say, see, look here, the Bible, it contradicts itself. If he knows everything, why is he asking this idiot? There's no, there's information. Well, because it's a dialogue. God's given us the record of what's going on, not because he doesn't know. All right? God told Balaam not to go nor curse the people because they were blessed in Numbers twenty two twelve. And God came to Balaam at night at the second request when they came back because the first time they came with money, we'll find the details as we get in the message. And God told them not to go. And then they came back a second time with more important people, more money. And God there told them to only go if they came to him and we'll deal with that in the message. But God put words in Balaam's mouth, it says in Numbers 23, 5. So all these references I'm giving you is to show you what's in the content there of the context that it says God dealt with and spoke to him, okay? So we want to keep it very clear. The Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth, it says, in Numbers 23, 16. The Spirit of God came upon Balaam, Numbers 24, 2, as much as it came upon Isaiah, Jeremiah, Obadiah, any of them. Balaam took up an oracle by God, in fact, spirit, and he prophesied about the Messiah, one of the most amazing prophecies. Listen, in Numbers 24, 15, and 17, it says, A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, speaking of the Messiah. We'll get that right now in the message when we get to our second point. So all this shows you that the Bible is very clear that God spoke to Balaam and through Balaam. Now, people are anxious to know what lies ahead, the future, whether it's good or evil. They want to know. They're willing to pay for predictions uh, of people who declare they can do that. Palm readers, psychics, uh, numerologists, and other assorted diviners of all kinds of uh, you know, frauds. And sometimes um, they are tapping into demons. Uh, in the 60s, in the Vietnam War, the Ouija boards were very popular. And the mothers would ask, uh, is my son coming back or stuff like that? Or kids get together and play with stuff like that. And uh, um, pretty scary stuff. Um, tea leaves is another form that does this. Um, Gene Dixon uh, uh, prognosticates uh, Nostradamus. But they're all generalities. They're not specifics. Demons have been around for a long time. They have a lot of information. So they can give generalities but they cannot speak specifically. They cannot look into the future. So this you need to understand, okay? Um, astrology has made a, uh, its inroads heavily enjoying the unprecedented um, boom, according to the American Federation of Astrologers, which boasts of thousands active members. And meanwhile, the gypsy from, uh, fortune tellers have been joined by government-sponsored think tanks with names like Rand Corporation, Hudson Institute, and many, many others. 
So this is not small stuff that's going on in our society. And these statistics, this quote that I'm giving you is back in the 90s. We are 20 years down the road, 25 years down the road, ladies and gentlemen. Let alone the TV psychics that bleed you to death with money at 95, $1.50 a minute or whatever. And uh, Cleo, he tell you the fortune. Amazing. And people go for it. The man Balaam was a spokesman for Satan and God. Mark that well. Let's go to his message, the message of Balaam. Now we'll get into here the chapters 22 on. Uh, the initial meeting of Balaam with Balak is here in chapter 22, uh, 36 and 37 verses there. In uh, 36 and 37, Balak reproved Balaam at the city of Moab for not coming the first time and asked him why he had not come at first, declaring, am I not able to honor you? He's talking about the first time when he rejected him because God told him not to go. All right. The honor he's talking about is money. We're going to see. Okay. Balaam answered Balak in 38 in two ways. He says he told Balak that he had no power of himself. Listen carefully. Look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? It's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? No. If you say yes, you failed it. He told Balak that he was limited in what he could say. Listen again to his words. The word of, that God puts in my mouth that I must speak. Absolute. Now, the first message of Balaam reveals his own inability to curse Israel in Numbers 22. Verse 39, all the way to chapter 23, verse 12. We're just going to walk through it to point out some things so you can see it. In 22, 39 through 41, Balak's petition to curse Israel is presented to us. In 39 and 40, sacrifice and offerings uh, or partake in there. And we're going to see this repetitive thing. In 41, the location for the first attempt to curse Israel was the high place of Baal for Balaam to see the extent of the people. Brings them to check them out. In chapter 23, verse 1 through 3, Balaam's words to Balak are recorded for us. In verse 1, he requested of Balak seven altars and seven bulls for sacrifice. Okay? Verse 2, he and Balak offered a bull and a ram on each altar. In verse 3, he told Balak to stand by his burnt offering. He would go and perhaps the Lord would come to meet him. And whatever God showed him, he would tell him. Verse 3. When you get to verse 4, down to 10, the words of Balaam from God now to Balak and all the princes of Moab are recorded. In verse 4 and 5, God met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and told him to return and to tell it to Balak. Balaam took up an oracle in verse 6 through 10. A mashal means a proverb, a parable, a song, a poem, or a byword. The source being God. This is prophetic in nature. This is God that's going to speak through him. And it'll be very clear when he speaks of his own through demons and when God speaks through him. Verse 7, God declared his knowledge of Balak's intentions. God knows why he was there. 
Money, money, money. Verse 8. God declared the inability of cursing or denouncing one who God has chosen to bless. Verse 9 and part of 10. God declared the innumerable multitude of Israel. God had blessed. God had multiplied Israel. Put them in Israel to bring, make a nation of them. And then in verse 11 and 12 of 23, Balak's response is given to us. In verse 11, he asked Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. What is your problem? In verse 12, Balaam told Balak, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Another rhetorical question. Yes, is the answer. Now the second message of Balaam reveals God's ability to protect Israel now. Chapter 23, verse 13 through 26. Balak's petition to curse Israel. Look at verse 13. He asked Balaam to come to another place where he would see only the outer parts of them and to curse them. In 14, the first part, he took him to the field of Sophim at the top of Pisgah. Pisgah is from where Moses saw the promised land, remember? Couldn't enter. The rest of 14, he builds seven altars and offers again seven bulls and rams in each one. And then we get Balaam's words to Balak. At verse 15, he told Balak to stand by his burnt offering while he met the Lord. Again, you have to, a good inductive Bible, you record what's in there, what it says. You don't make commentary. He went out that the Lord would meet him, okay? So you have to look at the context and what's in there. In verse 16 through 24, Balaam's words from God now are given to Balak. Okay, God, Balaam's words from God, they're going to be given to Balak. In verse 16, the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and told him to go back to Balak to speak to him. In 17, Balaam returned to Balak and he stood by his offering and the princes of Moab. So Balak asked him, what has the Lord spoken? Notice that Balak doesn't stop. He keeps trying to get him from different angles. This, this is the, the non-believer. This is the person who's self-willed. This is a person who's driven by his own intent and purpose. That no matter what doors close, they continue to push and everything. They're going to get their way no matter what. Okay? Very important here. Verses 18 through 24, Balaam took up the oracle again. This proverb. He says, God declared to Balak here in verse 18 and 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? It's a rhetorical question. Yes. In other words, God cannot lie. And whatever God reveals, it will come to pass. He knows everything, the end from the beginning. And yet all this time, there's free will that's going on. Balaam has total free will. He's not being forced to do evil. He's not being forced to do anything. He knows very well his limitations, but yet his, his greed is what drives him 
So what is it going to drive me in my life? Is it the things of God or the things of Xavier? What is it that's going to drive me in my life? Look at verse 20. God declared that Balaam could not reverse God's blessing. Remember, this is the protection of Israel. 21 and 22, God declared that he did not see any evil in Israel. And he was for Israel as their deliverer. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you mean no evil in Israel? Look at all those bastards. They... Listen to me. You want me to give you a better example? You. He sees you in Christ. You know how evil you are. End of conversation. <laughs> when you've repented, he's made you new. Other people may not recognize you as new. Other people may not forgive you. Other people may not allow you to forget. And when you think you have, they'll remind you. But that's all condemnation. So you're the better example than Israel. <laughs> Interesting. 23 and 24, God declared there was no sorcery or divination against Israel and she was the result of God's doing. Wow. First John 4, 4, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Always remember that. You're a child of God. You're a new creation. Satan can oppress you. Harass you, depress you, if you let him. But he cannot possess you. You're a child of God. So you need to bring your thoughts in captivity. You need to put on the armor of God. You need to fight the fight, good fight. Look at all the stupid things we used to fight for in the world. Hey, you pinning my girl? Hey, you checking out my short? And we get in the fight. And we're not willing to fight for Jesus now? Come on! We fight at a drop of a half for nothing! Look at 25 and 26. Balak's response. He told Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. Get away from me. Verse 25. He is done. He's, he's hot. In 26, Balaam told Balaam, Did I not tell you, saying all that the Lord speaks, that I must do? I told you I can't do anything. But yet he is so dead set that maybe, you know, he can change his mind. Maybe he can finagle with things. Isn't that the way we are? We manipulate. Well, yeah, I know this, that, but, you know, maybe, maybe I... When you think you're smarter than God, get a piece of paper or pencil and write down stupid in capital letters. Okay? And tape it to your chest. The third message of Balaam reveals Israel's conquest of the land. Look at Numbers 23, verse 27. This goes all the way to 24, 13. In chapter 23, 27, and 28, we have Balak's petition to curse Israel. 27 and 8, he asked Balaam to curse Israel for the third time from a different place. And Balak took him to the top of Peor, overlooking the wasteland. Again, we look at diff we, different ways. We try, oh, this work. I'll try this. It's just, that's flesh. You know, you just, you're going to make this thing work. If you have to stick that square peg in a round hole, that sucker's going in. His hope was perhaps it would be pleasing to God to curse Israel from there. How do you think that? When you know that about God, that God loves Israel, God's holy, and God's going to bless them. But see, when we think dumb, we equal dumb. Garbage in, garbage out. That's why it's important you put God's word in you so God's word comes out. You judge it by God's word. 
He hoped that God might do this impossible. Look at 29 through 30 of 23 there. Balaam's words to Balak are given. In 29, he took Balak for the third time to build seven altars, bulls, rams, for sacrifice. And in 30, Balak did as he asked and offered bulls, rams, and each altar. So this is a repetitive thing. God, we sacrifice to God in the Old Testament. They've defined, but there's also demons, and they because Satan always duplicates and imitates the things of God. Satan was in heaven, so he just duplicates and imitates the things of God, but in the evil way. Look at chapter twenty-four, verse one and two. Balaam's method of inquiring is given to us. He saw it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, so he did not seek to use sorcery or enchantments as the other times, and he set his face towards the wilderness, verse 1 says. Now, there's been a change here. We don't have this in the previous accounts. Now it says here that he didn't go out to seek out sorceries or enchantments. Now he's going directly to hear from God. All right? He raised his eyes and saw Israel in verse 2 encamp according to their tribes and the Spirit of God, listen, came upon him. All right? People that tell you, oh no, God couldn't have spoken to Balaam. Well, that's, that's, that's fine. That's your opinion. It's a dumb one, but the Bible says he did. Okay? I have to believe the Bible. All right? Look at verse 3 through 9. Balaam's words from God to Balak and all the princes of Moab are recorded. In verse 3 and 4, he took up his oracle for the third time and declared to speak as an instrument of God, hearing and seeing God's vision. So now he has a vision of God, just like we've been studying the minor prophets right now with Zechariah, visions while you're awake and God allows you to perceive or to see. In verse 5 and 6, God declared his delight over Israel. Okay? Simple. 7 and 8, God declared that he would multiply them and her kingdom would subdue the nations, plural. God was going to give them the land. The land was spewing these people out because of all this divination, the soothsaying, necromancy, all these abominable things, passing their children through the fire, all of that. The land would spew them out. And he says, if you do the same thing, the land's going to spit you out. Wow. Look at the beginning of verse 9. God declared that her strength is as a lion feared. The rest of 9, God declared that those who blessed Israel would be blessed and those who cursed Israel would be cursed. That goes back to Genesis 3.12. I mean, I'm 12.3, the reverse, 12.3. Okay? Once again, do a study on the nations that have ever gone against Israel or try to divide the land of Israel. It's not good. Not good at all. Now in 24.10, Balak's response is given to us. Balak's anger rose up against Balaam. And he struck his hands. Just hitting his hands. He is ticked off. Balak said, I called you to curse my enemies. There in verse 10. And you have bountifully blessed them these three times. What is your problem? Balak commands Balaam to flee to his place at Pithor. There in verse 11, the beginning. He's done with him. 
Balak reminds Balaam of how he thought to honor him with riches. The rest of 11. But the Lord had kept him back from honor. Ooh. Satan said to Eve, ah, you surely won't die. God knows the day you eat, you'll become just like him. He's trying to limit you. He's a killjoy. He doesn't want you to enjoy life. Really? So she bit the apple or the pomegranate or whatever it was. But it wasn't good. Then both of their eyes were open. Remember when you were young enough that you heard about sins, certain sins, and you would hear people tell you about them, but you can only know them by what they told you? But then you partook of it, and your eyes were open, but not for good? That's Satan's trap all the time. Okay? All the time. Verse 10, he's angry. I called you to curse them. You blessed them. Tells them to leave. Balaam, Balak reminds Balaam of how he thought to bless him. Once again, the hook is there. What is it? It's money, right? And you fill in the blank. It could be something else, whatever it is. What is it? That, what's the master passion in your life? What is the thing that, that, that what's your Achilles heel? Hmm. Look at verse 12 and 13. Balaam's answer to Balak is given to us. In verse 12, in the first part of 13, he reminded Balak of the words that he told the messengers that came to hire him, that even if he gave him a house full of silver and gold, he could not go beyond the words of the Lord or do good or bad of his own will. That's interesting. He told him right up front, I, I, I can only go so far. Not that he didn't have a free will, but he understood. He had to speak what the Lord said. He says there the rest of verse 13. Now look at 14 through 25. The fourth message of Balaam reveals that what Balaam has spoken was God's inspired word. Once again, look at the context. Don't mess with it. Accept the record. In verse 14, Balaam told Balak he was returning to his people, but first would tell him what Israel would do to his people in the latter days. Verse 15 through 24, Balaam's words to Balak are recorded. The beginning of 15, Balaam took up his oracle for the fourth time. Balaam identifies himself as the instrument of God's inspired revelation. Listen to his words. Him who hears the words of God. Very clear. Balaam prophesies about the Messiah to come first. Another blessing. Verse 17, the beginning. The star and the scepter. It speaks about Jesus the Messiah. Genesis 49.10, Psalm 45.6, Amos chapter 1, verse 5 and 8. Jesus the morning star, according to 2 Peter 1.19. Revelation 2.28 and Revelation 22.16-17. A star is symbolic of appearance and greatness. A scepter is symbolic of the rule and authority. 
He's the stone cut now with hands that strikes the image of Nebuchadnezzar in the feet and everything crumbles, destroying the kingdom of the Antichrist. We're going to get into this more with Zechariah. He has great detail. Notice that the rest of 17 to 19, Balaam declared the conquest of Edom and Moab's destruction predicted here. The destruction of Edom was already predicted back in 2 Samuel 8.2 and in 1 Kings 1.14 uh, or 11.15 through 16. You remember that uh, Saul had, um, uh, well not Saul, Edom was, was Esau, the, the brother of Jacob. And there were rival enemies all along. But Balaam here declared also the descendants of Amalek. Amalek's a type of the flesh in the scriptures in verse 20 here. Amalek is the ones that Saul allowed to live. You remember God sent him to kill Saul, to kill Balak, not Balak, to kill Agag, King Agag of the Amalekites and destroy everything. He brought back the sheep and all that stuff. And, um, you know, he came out like a, a spiritual giant and says, Oh, Samuel, you know, bless the Lord. He says, Oh, shut up. Be quiet. Let me tell you what the Lord says. He got on. And, and he allowed the king to live, but then he killed the king. But he allowed others to live. Because if you take the descendant of Agag the king, who was the one, the enemy against Mordecai? It was Haman, the Agagite in the book of Esther, that almost destroyed the entire nation of the Jews. Little leaven leavens the whole lump. Okay? Your sin will find you out. Five days, five months, five years, 50 years. It doesn't matter. Very important. The destruction of the Kenites, the relatives of Moses, and the certainty of all in 21 through 24. This is God prophesying through him. Balaam arose, departed to Pethor, and Balak also went his way. But they had another little secret meeting they were going to see. You know, industry and academia have lent respectability to stargazing in such organizations as the Commission of the Year 2000, sponsored by the prestigious American Association of Arts and Sciences, and the Institute of the Future, formed by a consortium of companies including Monsanto, DuPont, and Chase Manhattan, and many, many others. Remember, Satan is the god of this world, okay? They're saints and ain'ts. You're born again, you're a saint. If you're not born again, you're an ain't. That's not good. But it is your choice. If you want to ask, add an S to your ain't, then you can repent from your sins and ask Jesus to forgive you, and he will accept you, and he will transform your life. But the choice is yours. God doesn't damn anybody to hell. And so the message of Balaam was the word of God. Thirdly, the mistake of Balaam. Very, very important. Let's not miss it. Notice the mistake of Balaam was that he did not resist the temptation of money. In Numbers 22.7, the man Balaam was accustomed to a diviner's fee evident by the first visit that came with money. In 22.17, he says, I will certainly honor you greatly and I will do whatever you, you say to me in the second visit. But he could not leave. 
In the second visit, God said, listen, don't go with them unless they come in the morning. But all of a sudden, the next verse we read it, everybody's gone. And then the angel of the Lord is going to kill Balaam. And we're trying to figure it out. Well, it's simple. If he, did, he didn't wait for them, he went with them. Because money is what prompted him. So the angel of the Lord was standing in the road, as you know. He's on his little donkey. And he's going down the road. And the Lord opens the eyes of the donkey, okay? And as he's going off, the donkey goes off the road. And he hits his donkey back on the road. And then he sees the angel of the Lord again with the sword drawn. And he crushes his leg up against the wall. And he starts beating him and everything else. And gets him back on the road. And and and, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the donkey turns around. And, and he says, hey, listen. Am I not the donkey you've ridden since I was little? Now, the miracle is not the donkey spoke. is that he responded to the donkey. He says, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and all of a sudden, the Lord opens his eyes. And Balaam sees the angel of the Lord. He says, oh, oh I'm sorry. No, 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 no. And he says, okay, you go. But you watch your mouth. Only what I tell you. What was driving him? The money. The money. You know how many parts of Christianity today are preaching that godliness is gain? And that if you have enough faith, you're going to be wealthy and healthy? Get away from people like that. The Bible doesn't guarantee us riches. Now, automatically, if you're a born-again Christian, you're going to be 100% off better financially. The first weekend I was saved, I was 100% better off. You know why? I didn't go buying beer that weekend. I didn't crash my car. I didn't smash somebody's face and have to go throw my hand up or anything. I, was, I had money all over. The minute you're born again, you're 100% financially. And if you're a hard worker, you're going to be wise in what you buy. You're not going to throw your money away anymore. Simple. Notice. The desire for honor and riches blinded him. So, caused him to leave with those men in 22, 21. That's what drove him. So the angel of the Lord is there. And he warns him. Now, the mistake of Balaam was in advising Balak how to put a stumbling block before Israel, knowing God was blessing Israel. This is his great mistake. In Numbers 31, this is what I said about the one more meeting. In 31, 15 through 16, Balaam knew he could not curse Israel, so he counseled Balak to introduce their sexual practices of the gods to the young men, and God would destroy them himself. You don't have to worry about it. Let me. God is holy, and if you just send your young ladies in there, show them how you guys worship your God with sexual orgies, then, you know, God will wipe out himself. Wow. Sounds wise from the human perspective, but ooh, how evil. You have to face God for that advice. He couldn't resist the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Money is not evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, okay? Nothing wrong with sex in marriage. The evil is outside of marriage or in addition to marriage. That's what God condemns, okay? Listen, all the equipment works. You don't have to try it out, all right? You'll be okay. 
Numbers 25, 1 through 5, the men of Israel began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab in the worship of their gods, and God's anger arose so that the Lord told Moses to hang all the leaders and kill every one of them who was joined to Baal. In Numbers 25, 6 through 9, the audacity of one man to present a Midianite woman before Moses and the congregation that was weeping before the tabernacle for all this sin and everything that was going on, the Phineas gets so incensed because this young guy parades this sweet wiggly little thing right into the tent and they start having sex and so Phineas grabs a javelin and thrusts them both through in the very act and the plague was stayed there in Numbers 25, 6 through 9. And so therefore God blessed him and promised an everlasting priesthood to Phineas for his zeal in number 25, verse 10 through 18. Now, the mistake of Balaam was in thinking, listen, that he could get away with his sin. You think you have a wire? Be careful you don't get caught up in the wire. It's a spider's web, ladies and gentlemen. Moses told the two and a half tribes of Israel, Reuben, Gad, and half tribe of Manasseh, that they were to keep their word and settle the land first before they came back. Because they wanted to settle on the east side of the Jordan, which was a big mistake. God said, go to the other side. He said, well, we're cattle, man. We like the grass over here. All right. You think it's greener? When you get there, you'll find out it isn't. So they settled the land. They said, after we help you settle the land, then we'll go back. We're not going to betray you. So they did that. Interesting that those two and a half tribes of Israel, they were the first to go into captivity to Assyria. Are you interested in living as close to the fence to the world as possible rather than playing in the center of the yard? Be careful. People want to walk. What can I do? How close can I get out before I'm not in? Really? That's your philosophy of life? Wow. Do you do that when you go on a ship? How close can I get to the edge while still being in the ship? No. You look down that ship, you, you move away from that edge. Balaam was killed when vengeance was executed on Midian. In Numbers 31.7, the children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer among those who were killed by them, Joshua 13.22. Why? Because of the advice he had given against Israel. <clears throat> Look at Numbers 22.34. Balaam was not truly repentant when he told the angel of the Lord, I have sinned for I did not know you stood in the way against me. If it is evil, I will turn back. Liar. Listen to me. I will take you at your word that you've repented. Then I'm going to give you time and I'm going to give you rope. And time is going to tell me whether you hang yourself or swing across the chasm. Are we clear on this? All right? I don't know your heart. I take you at your word. Give me a hug. Let's walk and serve God. And time will tell me everything. Wow. Balaam is a constant warning to us. He hadn't repented. Second Chronicles 33, 6 tells us that. But what if, what if he would have repented? Would God have forgiven him? Of course he would have. You know why? You know why I know? Because Manasseh, the most evil king, the most evil king, that practiced witchcraft, sorcery, consulted mediums, and had his children go through the fire. 
the worst king of Israel that was born to King Hezekiah, when God told him that he was going to die, and he cried like a little girl. So he sent Isaiah back, told, okay, I'm going to give you 15 more years. Who was born in those 15 years? Manasseh. And God judged him, took him to captivity. He repented in captivity, and God forgave him, brought him back, and restored him. Wow, that's the type of God you serve. If you truly repent. If you don't, God help you and me. It's real simple. It's not difficult. So the constant warnings to us. Listen to Micah. Micah 6.5 says, All my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Acacia groves to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. He's a warning. Flashing red lights. Nehemiah, in chapter 13, verse 2, Nehemiah called the people to separate themselves from the Ammonites and the Moabites because they had not uh, met the children of Israel with bread and water, but they hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned their curse into a blessing. Nehemiah 13, 2, he's reminding them. Nehemiah is back after Zechariah, Haggai, as they're going to build a wall. So he comes after what we're studying right now. Also, Second Peter 2.15, Peter warns of those who have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Who can only do that? Is that a non-believer? No. A non-believer is astray. That's a person who's come to the Lord and walks away because of greed of money. Paul speaks about it in Timothy also, real clear. Following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loves the wages of unrighteousness, Second Peter 2.15. By the way, in chapter 2 of Second Peter... He speaks about the false prophets, false teachers. He says they will have great followings inside the church. To fall away, you have to be somewhere to fall away from. It's from within the church, not outside the church. The greatest enemy, the most dangerous, is in the church, not outside. Judas Iscariot are not outside, they're inside. Balaam's are not outside, they're inside. Am I clear on this? Rick Warren, McLaren, Oprah. Many others. <laughs> Just to mention a few of the knuckleheads, okay? Now, Jude, verse 11. There's only one chapter. The half-brother of Jesus also warns us, Woe to them. Woe does not mean you're riding a horse. It means judgment, okay? For they have gone in the way of Balaam for profit and perishing in the rebellion of Korah. Wow. John warns the church of Smyrna. But I have a few things against you because you have those there who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice the idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Listen, listen, listen. Behind demons, there's sexual immorality and there's idols. A woman thinks the greatest of this guy, oh, he's just such a honk, he's this and that. What will she do? She will sacrifice herself because she sees him as an idol. Idols and sex go together. Okay? And behind all that is demons. You understand what I'm talking about? Okay? Real clear in the scriptures. It's great deception. It brings great destruction. He was famous. Self-will. Double-minded and an evil counselor. Wow. 
the profession of Balaam has always been and will be here with us till the return of Jesus Christ. God often, in the scripture, sent evil spirits to uh, work on his behalf. Do you realize that in judgment? When people keep rejecting God, God will send demons. Listen. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Second Chronicles 18.22. It's not the only scripture. There's others. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and he sent a troubling spirit, a demonic spirit to him. Jesus declared in that day, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. We've done, cast out demons in your name. We've done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice, you, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew 7, 22 through 23. Simon the sorcerer gave an initial sign of repentance, but with time it revealed the lack of repentance, thinking he could purchase the Holy Spirit with money in Acts eight nineteen. The many signs and wonders that go on today in the name of Jesus Christ that are contrary to Scripture are the works of charlatans and that tickle people's ears and some are truly the work of demons and sometimes even inside churches. Laughing in the spirit, barking in the spirit, acting like animals, your little gods with little g, they say. No, that's a Mormon doctrine that began in the Garden of Eden. No, surely you will not die. You will become gods just like him. Wow. And now we have contemplative prayer through the emergent church that's tapping into the philosophy of the Desert Fathers of the Catholic Church of 4th and 5th century, which opens up your mind, empties your mind, kind of like yoga and all that kind of stuff, TM, New Age Movement. Wow. You read these guys' books, you think you're, you're on Talent Acid or something, you know? Taking a trip. Wow. All contrary to Scripture. The scriptures tell us demon activity will increase in the latter days. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Demons speaking through men. 1 Timothy 4.1 The believer is not to believe every spirit, but to test every spirit whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John 4.1 Are you doing this? You better. Today, the occult is being embraced through the guise of the New Age movement, which is, in reality, nothing more than revived Hinduism. Millions of dollars are spent on crystal pyramids, books, and other paraphernalia. Classes are even offered in our colleges, universities, and areas of higher learning, even within the Christian community, colleges, universities, and seminaries, and inside churches also. Wow. And now the corruption through the emergent church has brought it right into God's camp. Read the book of Revelation, the seven churches. I think four out of the seven, Satan's already in it. It's only 95 AD. Jesus was crucified in 33. 43, 53, 63, 73, 93. Not even 52 years. Wow. The mistake of Balaam cost him eternity with God. So remember Balaam next time through these three lenses. He's a very dangerous man. The man Balaam was a spokesman for Satan and God. The message of Balaam was the word of God. And the mistake of Balaam cost him eternity with God. Lord, thank you for your love, your goodness. We love you. We thank you. Deal with our hearts. And Lord, we pray that we would pay heed to you. Protect us. Use Pasadena as a light to the community. That we fear you and not man, Lord. 
as you're praying. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. To repent of your sins. If you're over the internet, over the radio, right now, you can repent. Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead. He paid the price of your sin. If you will call on his name, he will forgive you. Even if you're as evil as Manasseh, if you repent, he will forgive you. And he will bury your sins in the deepest ocean and never mention them again. That's the offer he gives you by grace through faith. If you want to repent, this is your prayer to him, not to us. And he will save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.